Your thoughts dwell on your mother. I miss her. Afraid to lose her, I think. Hmm? What does that got to do with anything? Everything. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. The taxation of trade routes leads to the discovery of a young slave who just may be the chosen one. The saga begins as we discuss how you say Tatooine a lightsaber duel with a dual lightsaber, and a track listing that's also a spoiler. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to us finding out if Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace stands the test of time. Test of time, James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut. Alan says as a father, blah blah. It's the test of time, James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time, James and Alan have their say. Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to not episode one of the podcast, but <laughs> our episode about Star Wars episode one, colon, The Phantom Menace. I'm James Brief, and joining me as always is my friend, my buddy, my buddy old pal, Alan Noah. Hi, that's me. I'm Alan Noah. I have to correct you. It is Star Wars, colon, episode one, dash, The Phantom Menace. That is how they titled the prequels for the sequel trilogy. They just went Star Wars colon The Force Awakens. And yeah, it's episode seven, but they didn't put that in the official title. When I post these episodes, I use like the official real title of the movie when it was released. So for the original trilogy, it was just Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. But for these episodes, I am going to write that whole thing out, Star Wars colon, episode number dash, the title, which is a very, very long title. But I'm excited to be talking about the prequels. This is cool, man. Episode one. Our generation, when we grew up in the 80s, Star Wars, for all intents and purposes, had already been done. Mm -hmm. Like, when we were aware of it, we already knew that Darth Vader is Luke's father. Spoiler alert. Uh, exactly. And that, uh, you know, the good guys win. Uh, that Star's blown up twice. We had never seen it in the theaters. Once we got to see it uh, late in high school uh, for the re-releases. Yeah. I even remember the year that it was finally released on VH. Chess around like Christmas Hanukkah time and it was like a big thing to get because you couldn't see it at all like there was no way to ever watch Star Wars well it was on VHS a couple of times I think you're talking about like when they re-released it I want to say early 90s 92 maybe but they put it on VHS many different times and it was always the same movie it wasn't like later on when Lucas started tinkering with it I am pretty sure that I had three different VHS box sets of the Star Wars trilogy. I had two of them. I had the THX version, right. which was special for me because it also had these interviews with George Lucas in the beginning of every film where he would talk about this mythological episode one, two, and three that might come someday. And then I also had the special edition VHS trilogy box set. 
The THX one, is that the one where the cover art was like faces, Darth Vader and Yoda and a stormtrooper as like the big face on the VHS cover? Yeah, I believe that was it. Okay, I think so. But yeah, I mean, we're talking about these movies because of the Disney Plus series Obi-Wan Kenobi that's coming out on May 27th. So we're going to talk about episode one, episode two, and episode three. Episode three will release on May 27th, the same day as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And um, I've been excited to rewatch these movies, and I think we're going to have a lot to say about them. But before we start talking about it, we should just recap what happened in Star Wars colon episode one dash the Phantom Menace. And the movie begins with two Jedi, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and they're on a mission to help with a trade dispute. But they end up on the run with Queen Amidala, the leader of Naboo. Their ship is damaged and they end up on Tatooine, where they meet Anakin Skywalker, a nine-year-old slave who will eventually become Darth Vader. Qui-Gon secures Anakin's freedom when the boy wins a pod race, and he vows to teach him about the Force. They end up back on Naboo, where the Trade Federation mounts an offensive with thousands of battle droids. Anakin helps by taking out the command ship, while Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan face off against the evil Darth Maul. But who is pulling the strings of these events? Who is the so-called Phantom Menace? Dun dun dun. I won't say who it is. Yet. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. Uh, this is usually when I say, So James, was this a big hit when it came out? But I'm not gonna ask. I know this was a huge, huge, huge blockbuster. This was maybe one of, if not the most anticipated movies ever when this movie came out. There was a lot of hype for this. Yeah, and you know that's what I was referencing earlier. Um, we were born in a generation when Star Wars was already out, and all we got were rewatches of this thing over and over and over. You got little games like X Wing on the on the computer, and little tidbits here and there. But this was the stuff of legends when we were kids. Like you know, there's supposed to be nine of them, or even sometimes that number was twelve. Right. And they used to have these things like Star Wars magazine and there were actually more than one of them. There was like Star Wars Galaxies and Star Wars Magazine and they would have all kinds of fan theories because I worked at Barnes & Noble and I remember there were two competing ones. That's how much there was in the 90s with no new Star Wars material. They actually had two monthly magazines. Well, there was one official Star Wars magazine called Star Wars Insider and I was a subscriber for many, many years. And yeah, before the prequels were announced, it was a lot of just revisiting the old movies and interviews with Anthony Daniels. Actually, Anthony Daniels wrote like a recurring column in the magazine, just like weird, long rambling things. But yeah, there was not a lot of new stuff. And then the New stuff started with the Timothy Zahn novels, which were sequels, which sort of reignited interest in Star Wars for people outside of like the hardcore, hardcore nerds. I assume that the people who picked up those books were still somewhat nerdy. Did you read them? I did. Oh my God, they were so good. So good. I still have them on the bookshelf downstairs. And I got many of the other books that came out and didn't read a lot of the other ones. But, uh, Those books and the Dark Horse comics and the 
advent of really good digital imagery, uh, CGI effects with Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park, led George Lucas to actually decide that he was finally going to go back and tell the story of Anakin Skywalker, which is alluded to in the original trilogy. And when he announced that he was actually going to make those movies, that was a huge, huge deal. Yeah, and you know, this was our uh, sophomore year of college when all this came out. Yeah. And they announced there was a trailer. And I say a lot in this podcast, I don't watch trailers, but this is back when I did. And this is before YouTube, so you had to download it. And I don't know, I probably watched it, I honestly would say 50 times maybe. Uh, what, what, what do you think, Al? I mean, I don't really remember the episode one trailer. And it's funny because I really remember going to see the trailers for the sequel movies and the other prequels. But for whatever reason, for episode one, I don't really remember. I saw that it played with Meet Joe Black and The Water Boy and A Bug's Life. I don't really remember seeing A Bug's Life in the theater Maybe I did. Maybe we went to see the Waterboy to see the Star Wars trailer. I did see, though, that the second trailer for Episode One was attached to the movie Wing Commander. And I do remember that. Because when that was announced, I went to see Wing Commander just to see the Star Wars trailer. I had zero interest in Wing Commander. It was a pretty bad movie, as I recall. But I went to see it just because the Episode One trailer was with it. Good game. Good game. Right. But like a bad movie based on a good game, I think, was the reputation. Yes. But essentially what you did is you paid seven, eight dollars, whatever it was, to watch a trailer. Yes. Like that weekend, Meet Joe Black and these kind of movies, they had an unexpected bump that they wouldn't expect because it was attached to this trailer and people were leaving after the trailer was played, like not even seeing the film. Yes. And I did do that for some of the other movies where I would go in, pay for the movie, watch the trailer, and then leave. I think the Two times I can remember doing that, I did ask for my money back and I like made up some lie of like, oh, I got an important call, a family emergency, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know, the movie didn't even start yet. And then they gave me my money back and then I went back to doing whatever I was doing. Little sneaky, but you know, whatever, totally worth it to see the Star Wars trailer. Oh, yeah. And I even remember the toy sales because when we were kids, like people didn't realize how valuable the toys would be. So people just, you know, they did what you do with toys. They played with them. And then later on in the 80s and 90s, it slowly started dawning on people that people would actually pay money for sealed toys. So I remember when the Phantom Menace toys first went on sale, people were buying them by the hundreds, it was like the Beanie Babies thing. People thought they were literally like just guaranteeing their children's college tuitions. Right. And some of them were kind of neat and a lot of them were really lame. And I remember actually when I was working at VH1, which was many years after this movie came out, but there was a guy who had done what you just said and had collected a lot of toys. And he gave me like a ton, like he was cleaning out his office and he's like, here's a bunch of episode one stuff. And it was all crap, all worthless. And like, I kept it on my desk for maybe a year. And then when I moved desks, I just junked a lot of it because it's like, what could you do with like a, a Watto little figurine that just, 
doesn't do anything, you know, like so much of it was crap. Right. And I even remember people were buying the uh, episode one soundtrack when it came out early. Yeah. The controversy about that. Uh, I lived that. I bought that CD the second it came out. I remember going to the Sam Goody in College Town and buying that CD and reading the track list. And there was a track named Qui-Gon's Noble End. And I was like, God damn it. That was like a huge spoiler right on the CD. And they were like really crazy about preventing spoilers with this movie. And then they released the soundtrack that had that in the, the title. There's also another track that's uh, Qui-Gon's Funeral. In case the noble end wasn't, uh, you know, a big enough clue for you. And I was pissed because I was like, I'm a super fan. I'm going to get the soundtrack and listen to the CD right away. And that's not a spoiler, listening to John Williams' amazing music ahead of time. But yeah, that CD was a pretty big, stupid spoiler. And I was pissed. Yeah, it did spoil it. But, you know, it's one of those things, the nature of a prequel is that you kind of know that obviously Obi-Wan is surviving everything. You know Yoda's surviving everything. And everyone who seems to be kind of important, who you've never seen before, you kind of feel like, I don't want to get too attached to this guy, which kind of annoy me about the nature of prequels. But this was a prequel. A lot of times it's a cash grab, but this was by its definition that the first movies were episode four. There were a lot of unanswered questions that people really were asking for. Like there is a real need for this. Uh, Relative name. Um, sure. And, but, but there is, you know, sometimes when we talk about, like, this is just an unnecessary sequel or prequel. This one, there's absolutely a reason for it. This movie came out on May 19th, 1999. It actually was released a couple days earlier than uh, was originally planned. And all three of these films, they had around a $100 million budget. And I'm sure there was tens of millions of dollars of marketing, but... Did they really need much marketing for this film? Honestly, everyone knew about this film. I mean, this was the biggest thing. I remember when um, Austin Powers, which had been a surprise hit in 97, uh, it had a sequel coming out in the summer of 99. The trailer was kind of mimicking Star Wars, and everyone was so excited for Star Wars things, and you saw it was Dr. Evil, and the credits were like, if you see one movie this summer see uh, well see star wars but if you see two films see austin powers uh, the spy who shagged me right like that is how big it was it wasn't like are you gonna see it it was have you seen it yet when are you gonna see it how many times have you seen it yes everyone saw this film yes when did you go see it like how did you get your tickets to see it I don't know exactly if I saw it opening night or opening weekend, but I went with some friends from my dorm, uh, my college dorm, and we drove all the way up to Syracuse. Oh. Yeah, we went to, I believe it was the Carousel Center, if that's the name of that mall. And we were among the people that uh, led the movie to number one with uh, $64 million that weekend, but $105.5 million from the Wednesday to Sunday period. The movie uh, went on to make $431 million domestically, $924 million worldwide. And a lot of people, myself included, saw it multiple times. So like, where were you the first night you saw it? And who'd you see it with? So 
I will give a shout out to uh, a friend of mine and a listener of this podcast. Uh, his name is Adam Balaban. I know him through my cousin. He and my cousin were like friends from high school, and he and I had hung out many times over the years. And you could buy advance tickets, but you had to buy them in person at the theater. I think it was like a week or two before the movie came out. And he went to a theater, I believe it was in Queens, and he bought a bunch of tickets for himself and some friends. One of those friends was my cousin Seth. And Adam went ahead and bought a ticket for me too, his friend's little cousin, which was a super nice thing of Adam to do. I'm sure I thanked Adam at the time, but just in case I didn't, and hell, I'll just say it again, Adam Balaban, thank you for doing that. That was incredibly kind of you. I got to see the movie opening weekend. I didn't have to wait on a long line for advance tickets, and I really appreciate that you did that, Adam. Thank you. And Seth, my cousin, he was, like, older than me, and I just kind of looked up to him, and I liked Star Wars in the first place because he liked Star Wars, and I just wanted to like everything that he liked, and so it was really cool that he and I got to see this movie together, you know, when there was never going to be another Star Wars movie, and then there was, and I got to see it with him, and it was a really, like, special thing. It was a really special moment. I don't care if that sounds corny. It really was. Yeah, it really was a phenomenon, this film, and people were excited to see it, it didn't matter who it starred. Uh, Liam Neeson, it was like, okay, that's fine. I don't really care. Ewan McGregor, okay. You heard Samuel L. Jackson was in it, and you're like, that's cool. You know, this is 1999, so he had just been in a lot of well-received films, but he wasn't the, you know, A-list superstar that he was today. Um, was this the first film that you knew Natalie Portman from? Yeah, I'd heard of The Professional, and I still to this day have never seen it. We should do that on the podcast at some point. Yeah, I saw it early on. I don't remember where I heard of it. I don't know how, but I rented it from Michelle's video, and she's basically our age. So yep. I remember thinking, like... This is so cool because you like hear about it. I, my mom used to get like People magazine. So I think I read something about her. Like she's just like this regular girl from Long Island. And like, you know, her parents are professionals and like not like actors. Like her dad's a doctor. And and then when I heard her being cast in uh, Star Wars, I was like, oh, you know, now she's big time. But it wasn't like she was a nobody. Right, right. The kid who plays Anakin, Jake Lloyd, he hadn't ever done anything before and really didn't do much after. No, um, you know, the, the way his career puttered out, is it's, it's really unfortunate and probably more of a function of the, the way the audience just kind of bullied him. And it's just a real shame. From what I read, it wasn't just the audience that bullied him. It was like his classmates. Like it was people that he knew in his life who were making fun of him that sort of led him to just not want to act anymore, which is really terrible. I remember many, many years ago, Courtney and I went to Hollywood Studios at Disney World and they had like a Star Wars parade and he was in it. Obviously much older at that point. He had like a mustache and, you know, he was a teenager or whatever. Apparently now he doesn't have like this animosity towards Star Wars that he did in the early days after the movie came out. You know, I mean, this that's not an uncommon story. And uh, I remember that uh, that teenager, Rebecca Black, she had to leave school. Remember, she was the Friday singer. Yeah. I really think, honestly, I think it's jealousy. 
that's what it is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this guy won the audition of all auditions. And when he got that part, you know people in his school just hated him. Of course. And, you know, Rebecca Black, yeah, she makes this kind of terrible, but also kind of awesome, you know, awesome and catchy, but kind of terrible song. But, you know, you can kind of make fun of it, but also the girl made like a million bucks in like a week. So how are we going to like, you know, acknowledge that she just made a million bucks? Let's tear her down. Like, that's what I think this is. And I think it's just so unfortunate what happened to him. Even um, Ahmed Best, the actor who played uh, Jar Jar Binks, uh, a character who was not well received by uh, audiences. Well, I would say adult audiences at the time and uh, and even critics uh, alike. He apparently was close to suicide. Yeah. It's a, you know, this only came out in a, a few years ago. People have heard about Jake Lloyd uh, for a while, but you know, there's this expression. I don't know if you ever read it on the, uh, the internet. It basically says, nobody hates Star Wars more than a Star Wars fan. <laughs> and like, they're the most like, critical and hating people are real hardcore Star Wars fans. And they really, really hate so much about Star Wars. That is true. But let's talk about Jar Jar. I mean, the thing about him, well, there's several things to talk about. But I think the thing that really turned off people of our generation is that he is a comic relief character, but not our kind of comic relief. He really is for younger audiences. The pratfalls, the silly language, him just like getting his tongue stuck in like the pod racing engine. It's there for comedy, but it wasn't our kind of comedy. And George Lucas said that it wasn't meant to be for, you know, the people who watched the original trilogy and were coming to this movie. It was meant to endear this new trilogy to a new generation of fans, to younger fans but it really, really pissed off a lot of our age 20-somethings fans. Yeah, you know, watching this movie, and this is the first time I've seen this film, episode one, in its completion, I would say in, it could be 20 years. Wow. Uh, Like, I've seen parts of it. I've definitely seen the lightsaber duels. I don't think I've sat down and read about the trade dispute uh, texting crawl in a long time you know my nephew had a star wars phase maybe i watched with him but i jar jar he was a little bit of a forced comic relief really what jar jar needed is one really funny thing and it just nothing he did was that funny. Even to right. a kid, it was kind of slapstick humor. And I really think that Jar Jar was robbed because the script just didn't have someone else, you know, another set of eyes. You know, they call it the dictator's trap where, you know, only the people that are basically going to tell you you're doing great are looking at uh, what you're doing. And George Lucas did not write episode five and six. And he wrote episode one, two and three. Right. Yeah. He wrote and directed these movies. He did a lot of it alone. He did bring in uh, someone to help him with the episode two script because of the bashing he got after episode one. But yeah, I mean, someone really should have told him that 
a lot of this Jar Jar stuff wasn't funny. I remember one thing that people really latched onto was the fact that Jar Jar says, how rude, which made people in our generation think of Michelle Tanner from Full House. That was like one of her catchphrases. Like when she was an adorable little girl, she'd say, how rude. I never thought that. I thought that was C-3PO because on on uh, Cloud City, some character goes to him, eat chuta, and he goes, how rude. Yeah, and it's a little funnier when C-3PO does it, but it's not like a funny line. I, I was keeping track watching the movie this time. Jar Jar says it three times in this movie, and it's a pretty lame catchphrase. And because it was so associated with Full House, like it really pissed people off. And yeah, Jar Jar is not funny. Also, he's at least problematic or maybe just full tilt racist, depending on your point of view. The way that he speaks and the way that his ears kind of resemble dreadlocks, it's sort of like a Caribbean uh, stereotype. And it's not a great look. Uh, you know, George Lucas has kind of pushed back on some of the, the criticisms that like, oh, if you say that the characters in Star Wars are racist, then that means you're racist. And I'm not going to point a finger at George Lucas and say that he's racist. But when you think about it, it's not great. And it's not just Jar Jar, because there are the Nemoidians, like the, the Trade Federation species. They speak with a heavy Asian accent. And then there's Watto, who really just sounds like every old Jewish stereotype. And when Qui-Gon tries to use the Jedi mind trick on him, it doesn't work. And he says, don't use Jedi mind tricks on me. The only thing that works on me is money. I love money. And he's got the long hook nose. I mean, it really does seem like 16 different Jewish stereotypes all in one character. It's not great. I, I don't know what to say about those things. I've read these things. I see what you're saying. I've read the things about the Harry Potter goblins are kind of Jewy looking. Yeah. And they have like a six-pointed star as their emblem. And again, George Lucas had just himself doing it. And he probably, I'm sure, had final say on everything. Because this is probably not the kind of thing that uh, even in the 90s, I'm guessing somebody from 20th Century Fox would have been like, um, a couple notes here, George. Yeah, I think you really hit it on the head there, James. It really is the kind of thing that maybe it wasn't done with bad intent, but he really needed someone there to say, George, let's talk about this. Here's why we need to change this character, and here's why we need to change this voice, and here's why we need to make this not be like this. And he didn't have that. Right. You know, I'm at best. He is an actor who, who is African-American. I doubt his idea was, let me make a an awful stereotype voice. And I don't really know the origin of it. Was it his idea the way he made it? Was it George Lucas that came up with it? Maybe a combination of the two of them. You knew in 1999 people were going to pounce on it. I remember, Al, when the um, title, The Phantom Menace, came out. People were even pissed off about that. The hate train for this film followed very closely to the hype train. And I don't think I ever saw anything like this before. 
Yeah, it is also just worth mentioning that George Lucas is married to a black woman. So I don't really think he is racist, but it just isn't a good look. And it gave fodder to the haters who, you're right, would have found flaws in anything. But Jar Jar is flawed. And I think it is fair to criticize that character And I think another thing that turned people off to this movie was the inner workings of the politics of this universe, where in the opening crawl, when like that text finally comes across the screen that people were waiting 16 years to see what it is, what's the story of this movie? And it says the taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. Like that's pretty damn anticlimactic like yes. you know like taxation trade routes dispute like none of those words are exciting at all taxation is not the most exciting thing yeah you're correct no it reminds people of history class and that's maybe the point that like the thing that rips this republic apart starts with this like really mundane thing like that's okay i think that's kind of like a comment on politics in general and i think that's fine but it really just was anticlimactic and there is a lot of like the machinations of how the politics work in this movie that is boring and also like confusing like part of palpatine's plan is that the current chancellor is weak and so someone needs to make a motion to have a vote of no confidence in that chancellor but who should it be and then he basically has queen amidala do it which aha that's his plan but also queen amidala is not a member of the senate so how can she make a vote of no confidence Palpatine is a senator at this point, so shouldn't he make the motion? But then he doesn't want to because then he won't be elected. It doesn't really make sense when you think about it, but you're not supposed to think about it. But there's so much exposition that you do think about it. If you're giving us that much exposition and explanation of how this stuff works, then it should at least be logical, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it could have been anything. It could have just been that Naboo had some kind of resource that uh, people wanted and the Trade Federation was trying to steal it. But overall, you do see that this is a big chess move because perhaps all these little disputes, as we find out, are maybe being orchestrated behind the scenes by some other uh, force. It all comes down to force. That's right. The Jedi that were trying to uh, negotiate something with this Naboo queen, they escape with the queen and they crash land on, of all planets the planet Tatooine and what Tatooine did you say Tatooine 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 that was maybe a little too far but okay yeah all right so he goes to Tatooine oh my god (laughs) so Jake Lloyd he is so innocent looking he's a very sweet looking kid I think the problem that some fans had with him is that he's just like too sweet looking and too precocious and too adorable because this guy turns into Darth Vader, the 
ultimate movie bad guy. And here he is as a sweet, adorable cutie pie. He also shouts yippee a lot. And that rubbed people the wrong way. They wanted to see someone who was a little bit more dark and brooding and maybe he's a good guy but he's got a bad side too and we do see that in episodes two and very much in episode three but in this movie he's just a kid and it's all the innocence of youth and he doesn't have an evil bone in his body and that's part of like the tragedy you know part of the the tragic fall of Anakin Skywalker is that he started off as this sweet adorable kid but yeah, the portrayal definitely pissed people off for sure. I think George Lucas's idea was that episode one, Anakin has to be complete, pure, like Virgin Mary pureness. And I really wish there was a little hint of evil. I wish that Sebulba sabotaged his pod race and he was like, he gets angry. And somehow his anger is it's helping it a little bit. Mm. And then he kind of figures out, okay, you know, I did feel something, Qui-Gon. And there's something there. There's a deleted scene. I don't know if you've seen all these deleted scenes. Probably at some point you've seen it. Probably. But there's a deleted scene where Greedo, and not the guy that looks like Greedo, but actually they call him Greedo. Mm-hmm. Um, Greedo accuses Anakin of cheating. I don't know if this is after the pod race or referring to a previous pod race, but Anakin starts beating him up. And I'm like, all right, like this is something cool. I want to see a little bit of anger in this kid. Because there's that classic thing about Nazis that they try to say, you know, don't say the Nazis were sociopaths. The whole point is that Nazism can come anywhere and like regular people can turn into Nazis and I think that might be George Lucas's point he doesn't want to make him an evil guy that just is like seated evil you know everyone has that opportunity to be a little mad but then you show them in their road rage they decide not to swerve into that car but you can show anyone get angry for a second I want to see this kid be a little bit pissed off at something he's a slave and he's taken away from his mother he has every right to be angry but they don't show him angry at all that's true that is a very very good point and that is a missed opportunity I mean let's talk about the pod racing scene which really is just visually breathtaking and seeing it on the big screen for the first time in 1999 I was completely blown away by that entire I think it's like 10 minutes sequence watching it now on the big screen downstairs like it still looks amazing it's thrilling it's exciting yeah it's like the chariot race in Ben-Hur I get it that's what George Lucas was going for but it's just Cool. And in that scene, you do have a good example of comic relief, I think, with the uh, the announcers, like the two-headed announcer. You know, the guy kind of sounds like the classic, you know, sports announcer. It almost kind of sounds like in um, Better Off Dead, you know, like there's the... the it's g- Howard Cosell. That's yeah, what yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be. Wild yeah. World of Sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy in Better Off Dead is impersonating Howard Cosell. Right. And in this movie, it's Greg Proops doing uh, that voice. That, to me, kind of works as uh, as comic relief there. And I just think the entire sequence still holds up really, really well. 
My favorite part of the uh, comic relief is more the Tuscan Raiders. They had a little cameo that I liked seeing them in there. They're shooting at people. That's your idea of comic relief? Well, the guy is like, well, they got some Tuscan Raiders there. The Tuscan Raiders are like, ah, wah, wah, holding up their guns. It's, it is kind of comic relief. One thing I always really disliked about the pod racing scene, it has no score to it. It's completely scoreless. There's no John Williams in it. But I had just completely forgotten that lap three, that's when the John Williams score kicks in. And I was watching this with my girlfriend, and she hadn't seen this in years either. And I was just kind of like, you know, it just makes it better. I wish there was a score. This would be so much better with it. And then finally it kicks in. And that last lap is so much better than the first two laps because the John Williams score is in it. It's weird because it actually wound up being so pleasant to me because for so many years, I remember that there's zero John Williams score in the pod racing scene when there is for the last minute. I feel like you don't even notice a lack of score because it's so loud. There's just so much sound happening with the machines and everything going that like, I feel like it's not distracting. Oh, I absolutely always noticed it. And, you know, speaking of John Williams' score, we had mentioned that the CD came out, but one more thing that came out early was the music video. And, I mean, a CD single, basically, from John Williams. This is not something usual, but it completely made sense that this would make MTV and VH1, like, people would be watching this video. The big release was Duel of the Fates, and if the human race ends and there are 10 music numbers that we want people to remember, it wouldn't be surprising if people put the Imperial March on there. It's that good. And then for him to come up with something that can actually live up to that, for me, Duel of the Fates It's just so different, but it is one of the most epic with that Sanskrit opera in the background. It is just so hauntingly epic, this song. Yeah, let's uh, let's play a clip of it here. Okay, 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 fine. Here's the real clip. I think I like our version a little bit better. But yes, that was an epic music video. I listen to that song all of the time. After watching this movie, I've been putting it on on Spotify, you know, just uh, the past couple of days. It's a great track. 
For years, I didn't really know what the Phantom Menace was, and now you realize it was Palpatine what? Um, well, well, in, in the background. Well, because there was definitely debate about what it was. Is it Anakin, who is this Phantom Menace, that right now he's not a menace, but uh, you know we don't know? Well, there was debate when it came out. Like, really? Was it? Yes, there was. I don't remember that at all. I thought it was always 100% crystal clear that it was Palpatine. No, no. Huh. You know, th- there is something we didn't talk about yet. It was that there's this uh, this prophecy, uh, this legend of some Jedi that will be balanced to the Force, and they think it's this boy. And the name of the John Williams uh, score that we just heard, it's called Duel of the Fates. And this boy really is presented two paths in life, as we're going to see really over the next two films more. But in some ways, it- it's the Duel of the Fates. Um, which way is he going to go? And is his fate to save the Sith um, or is it to save the Jedi? That is, in my opinion, the duel of the fates. Yes, I think that is very clear. And the song, Duel of the Fates, plays over the lightsaber duel in this movie between Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi versus Darth Maul. And yes, this battle is for the fate of Anakin Skywalker. And this battle is so amazing. And when you think back to the lightsaber battle in Star Wars, aka Episode 4, colon, A New Hope, I mean, it's barely a duel. It's just like these two old guys kind of clacking their lightsabers back and forth. But this was choreographed. Ray Park, who plays Darth Maul, is a stuntman. Like, that was... His job, he wasn't supposed to play Darth Maul, but he was just so good at like all of the sword choreography that they, you know, put the makeup on him, just had him do it. And it is long and it is just really, really entertaining to watch. Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back, they had pretty good lightsaber duels. Nothing like what we saw. And I am still pissed off to this day one of the reasons i won't watch trailers i wish to this day i could be surprised about Arnold schwarzenegger being the good terminator in terminator 2 i wish i could have been surprised about that i also wish that i could have seen the dual lightsaber i wish everyone could have seen it at the same time is there anyone that was on the fence about seeing this film and was like I don't know. Oh, wait, there's two lightsabers. Now I'm going to go. Like, they did not have to reveal that. It was amazing in the trailer, but it would have been better for them to just show us in the theater. That's fair. I do also think that we should point out that when you say dual lightsaber, you mean two-sided lightsaber, because we're also talking about lightsaber dual, D-U-E-L, as in the fight, but you're talking about dual, D-U-A-L, so it could be a little confusing because it's a dual lightsaber and the lightsaber duel. Right. I should go with the double lightsaber. There you go. I mean, yeah. just, you know, for the auditory purposes. But I get what you're saying. And yeah, I mean, it is an epic thing in the trailer and it is very, very cool in the movie. And also Darth Maul, so fantastic whoever did the makeup for this and the makeup design for him he's terrifying i think he is so well done uh george lucas has made two big mistakes killing off characters that 
I guess he was able to write himself, or other people were able to write him out of, but when he killed off Boba Fett in uh, episode six, and when he killed off uh, Darth Maul in episode one, these were really well-liked characters. Darth Maul should have been the big bad throughout the entire uh, first trilogy. You know, maybe even replacing Dooku. Darth Maul's so awesome, and I, I regret he was killed in the first episode. Yeah, I mean, he does survive. As does Boba Fett. Well, you later work in a way he survived. I had read something recently about how Darth Maul originally had him just kind of fall into the pit after uh, Obi-Wan kind of slices at him. Like he just kind of sliced him across the you know chest or something. And he purposely had him uh, split in half so that people would know he's really done. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's just a shame because he is just so awesome. Yeah, but George Lucas has said that he thought that was part of Palpatine's story was that he has all of these apprentices that are going to be the next big thing and he just keeps losing them so that Darth Vader is like the ultimate one, the one that really sticks around because Darth Maul doesn't stick around and Dooku doesn't stick around. I know on the one hand you get the unbelievable Christopher Lee, but Christopher Lee can't do what what Ray Park can do. Sure, 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 sure. No, I understand what you're saying. I should just point out that when Darth Maul is seemingly killed, how about we phrase it that way, Obi-Wan is holding on in this like pit, holding on for his life, and Darth Maul is much higher than him. I guess you could say that Darth Maul has the high ground, but then Obi-Wan is able to jump over him and then cut him in half, and seemingly kill him. I I just wanted to mention for absolutely no reason that the character with the high ground is killed. Well, I mean, there are other things like this in the prequels, like when they say only a Sith deals in absolutes. That right there is an absolute. Uh... Only a Sith deals in absolutes is itself an absolute. You save that for episode three. Yes, but I'm just saying there are many times, and perhaps that is the point. Maybe the Jedi are a little bit hypocritical. Maybe they have some bad ideas, like not allowing love. Save that for episode two. You're getting ahead of yourself. Um, also, though, while we're talking about the end of the movie, we should talk about Anakin's role in this battle scene. Yippee! Yippee! Where he goes and fights in the space battle and destroys the command ship by accident. And this did piss off people and it did rub me the wrong way. I will admit that this kind of annoyed me because, you know, I get it. Like he's not supposed to be like on the mission to save the day and he's a little kid and no one's going to send him up there to fly to risk his life. But the way that he just kind of like accidentally crash lands into the ship and accidentally blows it up from the inside, it is anticlimactic. And sort of like you were saying earlier that it was like a missed opportunity for him to like not get mad about the pod race or Sebulba or something. There could have been him going up there because he wanted to help Padme, because he wanted to do something, because he's mechanically inclined because of some reason, and the fact that it's all just an oopsie-doopsie is kind of annoying. They spent the entire first three quarters of us meeting Anakin in this film teaching us that this kid is an 
unbelievably gifted pilot. Yeah. And the only thing we knew about Anakin Skywalker, not not uh, Darth Vader, but Obi-Wan told us in episode four, he was one of the best starfighter pilots of the galaxy. You've established this in the movie. It doesn't need to be an accident. Maybe he doesn't quite get why he's that good. He's a little better in aim than he thought he would be. Like the, the missile went the wrong way. Oh no, I really wanted it to go left. And it goes left. You know, something weird happens that he doesn't know why he's able to control it. But it's it's very odd that they make it into this, like, Augie shucks. Because that's what Jar Jar does. That's okay for Jar Jar to accidentally let all the blue orb uh, balls go and, you know, save a couple of his compadres. But uh, you're right. It's just such a weird thing for him to be just a yippy coincidence when there's such opportunity for it to be more substantial. Yeah, I mean, maybe even if like the autopilot like started him on the journey, but then he was like, no, no, I have to go and save Padme or something. Honestly, even that sounds kind of lame because you were mentioning uh, Jar Jar in like his battle scene, you know, with the Gungans versus the battle droids. I don't think I ever noticed it before, but like when the battle droids like spring to life, you know, when they're like all activated, one of the other Gungans says, ouch time. Yeah, I remember that line. I love when the battle droids activate. Some people thought they were lame. I think they're so cool. I love that design. For for me personally, I think they're really neat. I think people weren't bothered by the design. I think they were more bothered by like the corniness and again, like the sort of juvenile humor of them of just kind of being like, Roger, Roger. Uh, what should we do? I don't know. Uh, blast them. Yeah, blast them. And then they get like sliced in half. I think that was more of the quote unquote problem with them. I mean, I agree with you in terms of the design. They look very cool. And it is also fine to see something other than stormtroopers. Like this is before stormtroopers. Stormtroopers aren't the bad guy. And battle droids. Yeah, sure. Why not? That makes sense. Um, Let's talk about... Puppet Yoda. Because it is kind of remarkable when you think about it that in 1980, when they released The Empire Strikes Back, Yoda looks amazing. He doesn't look like a puppet. He looks fantastic. And then 19 years later, when The Phantom Menace comes out, Yoda looks like crap. He looks like a crappy puppet. And George Lucas is maligned for tinkering with his movies after they've been released and quote-unquote fixing things that maybe he shouldn't have quote-unquote fixed. But when he went back and made the Yoda in this movie digital, it looked way better. And I didn't mind that at all because I do remember seeing Yoda in the movie in 99 and just being like, what the hell is wrong with Yoda? Yeah, I think they were trying to go for like, oh, he's younger here, but it could have just been the same, but he moves a little faster or something. Yeah, and also instead of being 900 years old, he's 870 years old. Right, Like for that species, like old age really kicks in at what, 880, 885? I mean, come on. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And yeah, it just looks bad. I mean, I watched this movie, as I'm guessing you did, on Disney+. Plus, So I saw the CGI Yoda, but just like looking up like the old clips online of the puppet it just looks terrible agreed 
But I think we've talked about this movie fairly exhaustively. So I will ask you, James, do you think that Star Wars colon episode one dash the Phantom Menace stands the test of time? You know, we spent a good portion of the beginning of this podcast trying to recreate how much people were uh, anticipating this film. I think the problem with this film was us. I think we were just too tense. We had had these ideas. One line, one line in in episode four. You fought with my father in the Clone Wars. That's it. They don't mention the Clone Wars ever again. We have no idea what this is. We expected episode one to be called the Clone Wars or the rise of Darth Vader. Everyone had their own headcanon, and nobody could have been uh, completely satisfied with what George Lucas decided uh, was going to be the answer. So we were just really kind of really itching to criticize. And it's really interesting watching this film uh, 20-something years later after it came out. And this is a real fun film. I really had a good time watching it. I mean, yeah, I wish Jar Jar was funnier. I wish there was a little bit of hatred in this kid. Honestly, I think you're right. I think he's a little too cute. I mean, he's one of the most evil villains in the history of cinema. And I don't want to imagine that that could be anyone. I can imagine that anyone could kind of be a follower of the Nazi party, but I want to imagine not anyone could be Joseph Menengel and go and do experiments on child twins. I don't think anyone can do that. You know, so I would have liked this kid to have been a little worse. But um, one thing that you know, I'll say as a pediatrician, you know, in the end, George Lucas was right. Kids love this they love the prequel episodes i know a lot of kids little kids that like the prequels better than the original trilogy Mm. at least some of the prequels better than some of the original trilogies because they are faster paced you know episode four there are some slow parts after that opening scene there's no action for a while until you get to moss eisley and then there's no action again for a while and These films are really beloved by kids. And I also think that, you know, we were kids when Star Wars came out and we weren't little kids when episode one came out. And I think, you know, in more of an existential way, we weren't just mourning that we didn't love episode one in every way we wanted to. We were mourning a little bit that, you know, it wasn't uh, another episode four, five, six exactly like we wanted it to be. But in light of the sequel trilogy of my problems with that this film is definitely part one of a three-part story whether i love everything about that story that i'm not so sure but it holds up it holds up in the star wars trilogy i think better than it might have so i'm gonna say yes this film does stand the test of time what about you al do you think episode one stands the test of time Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I think that it is flawed, and I feel like I spent a lot of this episode kind of pointing out a lot of the flaws of this movie, which I think is fair and valid because I am a Star Wars fan. I think I'm allowed to hate Star Wars as a huge Star Wars fan, but I don't hate it. I've watched the prequels many times over the years since 1999. I watched them with my son, Eli. I watched them again with my daughter. I'm watching them again now as a refresher before Obi-Wan Kenobi comes out. A refresher. 
<laughs> well, more so for my daughter because she didn't really remember them. Like she'd seen all 11 Star Wars movies. She didn't really remember all of the finer points. And I was like really excited about Obi-Wan Kenobi and she didn't remember stuff. So I'm like, let's just rewatch episodes one, two, and three. And she was like, yeah. And so, okay, you don't need to tell me twice. Um, you know what else I noticed this time around that I never noticed before? In the beginning, when they're on the Trade Federation ship, Qui-Gon and uh, Obi-Wan, they say the word droidekas a lot. And those are the the droids that have like the, the ray shields that come out. And they're like, uh-oh, droidekas. We got to fight the droidekas. Here come the droidekas. And like they say that word a lot. Why? For the merchandising, merchandising, the toys, you know, and they name every character and they say the name a couple times just to make sure you get it. And they didn't do that in the original trilogy. I don't think they say Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back at all. I think uh, Han Solo says it once in Return of the Jedi. But in the new world of the prequels, if there's a character and that character is going to be an action figure, you better say that character's name and maybe even say the name of the species and maybe say the name of this kind of droid and that kind of droid. And it's noticeable and it is a little annoying, but the movie is still really thrilling. It's got really great parts. It's a little emotional at times, you know, like when uh, when Anakin says goodbye to his mom, that kind of tugs on the heartstrings a little bit. Oh my God, we didn't even talk about midichlorians and how that pissed people off. I think that's a little bit annoying, to be honest, like the whole explaining away this mystical power as basically mitochondria-like things. Like, you didn't need to do that, George Lucas. No, I don't really think that's what the midichlorians are. The way I interpreted it, and I think this could have been explained with like one more sentence, it's not these microorganisms that are causing the force, even though it confuses people. The way I understand it is the force is the force, and some people are very attuned to the force, some people aren't. And people that are attuned to the force happen to have a high midichlorian count because for whatever reason they're attracted to the force of sensitive people so it just happens to be like a roundabout way to find out who's force sensitive it's not that these little organisms cause the force it's a way to kind of quantitatively measure your force ability because people that are force sensitive have a lot of midichlorian count in their blood i agree it's stupid but um can i say one other thing that we didn't mention force speed can we talk about that? What? You know when they when they run super fast in episode one? No. You have no idea what I'm talking about. No, not even a little bit. Well, I'm shocked at you. It's a Jedi power that is used in episode one and is never used again. When they run away from like the battle droids or something, the ones with the shields. The they, droidekas. Yeah, they run really fast. And it's something called force speed. But it's never used again. That's weird. Uh, but... There are parts of this movie that I don't love. A lot of things annoy me about it. But I think that this movie is really enjoyable. It is really entertaining. It does set up the things that come next. And I loved it. When I walked out of the theater in 1999 with my cousin Seth and his friend Adam Balaban, I was very, very happy. I was smiling. I saw it in the theater many times. And... The criticisms of this movie, I think, are mainly valid, but I think it is hated way more than it deserves to be. I enjoy it, and I'm going to say that The Phantom Menace does stand the test of time. And I'm looking forward to watching episode two and talking about that movie with you 
next week. Until then, listeners, we want to hear your thoughts on the prequels, on episode one specifically. Let us know at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at the Test of Time Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we will see you next week, everybody. Bye.